0: into the house, changed the locks, and she's been living in uh, this house um, in contract for for the past four months.
1: Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt, and uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever, and get some money for your flipping project. Hi, Best Ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. We get straight to the good stuff, cut out all the fluff, and uh, talk about real estate investing advice that will help you in your investing career and help you make more money um, and ultimately own your time, which I think is what we're all seeking, uh, whether we think about it on a conscious or, or subconscious level. Um, we ultimately want to do what we want to do with our time. Uh, so with us today, we have a wonderful best ever guest. How you doing, Eric Stutz?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for asking and uh, thank you for having me on the show today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. Um, Eric is based in almost my old stomping ground, Long Island. I was in Manhattan, but pretty darn close, in New York. And he's a full-time real estate investor and he's a licensed real estate broker. In his previous life, he was a banker, where he worked at J.P. Morgan Chase in the MBS department, uh, mortgage-backed securities department. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. He's a buy-and-hold investor, and he also does a whole lot of fix-and-flips, which has been his focus over the last seven years. To fix and flips, and then buying and holding as as he progresses. Uh he also he mentioned to to me before we start recording he's done some student housing at least initially he did a little bit of student housing renting running the graduate students and he's also participated in in some other real estate investments so very well rounded but certainly primarily focused on fix and flips and you know what Eric I didn't ask you what's your non real estate related interesting fact so I'm going to have to put you on the spot what what is that for us
0: I've actually been a phlebotomist for uh, about 18 years. I took a phlebotomy course after high school to help pay my way through college. So um, I was actively drawing blood on a per diem basis for about 17 years for a local hospital here in uh, Long Beach, New York.
1: Wow. If you would have given me 10 answer choices, I would have never guessed that you were drawing blood from patients and getting paid to get their blood specimens and sending them to the laboratory.
0: It's, uh, it's definitely one of those, you know, again, all my patients always used to ask, oh, are you going to be a doctor? <laughs> you know, a lot of my patients were just, here at, they would actually call me doctor and uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was one of those things where at the time it was, um, I was able to make, you know, let's say, you know, 10 to 12 bucks an hour drawing blood as opposed to, you know, working at a fast food joint, you know, making minimum wage. So it was definitely a, a big help in, uh, you know, like I said, paying my way through college and it just it, it worked very well with my uh, with my schedule at the time. Um, when I went to go work for uh, JP Morgan Chase in Manhattan, I, I stopped doing it for a few years. but then when I started my own business, um, called my super my old supervisor up and uh, house calls were available for me so again, I would visit like seven, eight patients a morning um, it would take up about two or three hours of my time and then I would just jump right into real estate.
1: huh Well. You're definitely the the first phlebotomist. And I'm going to be honest, as soon as you mentioned that, I started Googling it exactly what the heck that was. Um, That's why my day in the life, whenever I was describing it, was probably so uh, close to the Google definition. But you're the first phlebotomist that we've ever had on the show, or at least least I'm aware of. So welcome. Um, I'm glad to have you. And let's talk a little bit about your real estate experience. So can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus right now?
0: Yeah, sure. After I graduated college, I went to Hofstra University here on the island. Uh, I was a banking and finance major. Um, my first job was with with Bloomberg uh, in Manhattan, Fifty and Park. And then I, uh, you know, sh- I was there for about um, six months, and I really wanted to get into, uh, you know, the banking, you know, more of like an analyst position and. Ended up uh, getting a job with Chase, also in Manhattan, uh, at their headquarters, and um, I was on the mortgage, you know, I was on the mortgage-backed securities trading desk there. I wasn't a trader; I was more of a of a research analyst slash strategist, and did that for a couple of years. Again, I was in mortgage-backed securities, and this was back in 2000. So, fixed income and the real estate markets were really what was holding up the the economy at that time. Real estate was booming; banks were giving money out to anybody who walked through the door. And we were, I was part of a team that was bundling all these mortgage backed securities, Fannies, Jenny's Freddie's. You say Jenny's Jenny May. Yeah. Jenny May's Fanny May's.
1: I've never heard of Jenny May.
0: Yeah. Jenny May.
1: Oh, Freddie May. And
0: yeah, like Sally May is, is, you know, like the student loans, whereas like Ginny May falls under, you know, it was conventional, um, you know, government sponsored enterprise. Same, very similar to Fannie Mae. And, and uh, Fre- well, Freddie Mac is a little different, but Fannie and huh. Ginny are very, uh, very similar. And, uh, it was a great experience, like I said, being on the trading floor and, and, and just pulling these securities together and creating mortgage-backed securities. And, uh, you know, we would put together, you know, three, $400 million tranches of, uh, of mortgage-backed securities and sell them off to, uh, Hedge funds, pension funds, money managers, um, and the like. And uh, again, it was it was a great experience. I, I I would have preferred to be on the sales and or trading side of it, just because of my personality. I'm more of a people's person, but but again, I was I was on the uh, research analytical side, but still had a had a seat on the trading floor there as well as a cubicle on the next floor up. But um,
1: what what's one thing you took away from that experience at? JP Morgan Chase in that mortgage-backed uh, securities department that you apply to flipping right now.
0: You know, it was. I just remember when I first started, they handed me a book. It was a 1,200-page book on mortgage-backed securities, and uh, I want to say that I read read through most of it. But um, I I, I kind of had a. I've always wanted to be in real estate. You know, as far back as I could, as far back as I go, and and um, you know, uh, it's just just. Just seeing the 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 amount of of, of deals and, and and the amount of money involved with uh you know with these mortgage backed securities, um just kind of helped solidify that you know one day I, I want to start my own real estate company. I definitely want to invest in real estate, um and just learning, you know learning all the you know the intricacies of of, of real estate. So you know as opposed to learning about a you know, a single family house or how to buy a two family. I mean, I, w- I was, I was really learning, you know, the, I don't want to say the back end, but just how these mortgages are put together and, 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 you know, all the, the variables that are involved with, with different types of loans and rates and the, the prepayments. So it was just a heavy focus on, on the actual, you know, the financing part of it and, and the loan products and, um, you know, it was, like I said, it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I took a lot, lot from it in regards to just, just knowing um, a lot about real estate financing and, and how it really works and what happens to mortgages after people take out a mortgage and how banks and, and, and brokerages, you know, sell the mortgages off and, and, and you know, get put with new servicers and so on and so forth. But, um, I mean, it was more of a general just, yeah. just real estate you know, base that, that I was able to, to take from there and, and start applying to my own, you know, real estate investments.
1: With what you're doing now, you're, you're fixing and flipping homes. What are the things that you look for in a property that you're going to fix and flip? How do you approach it? And what have you seen as a result so far, both good and bad?
0: Well, um, you know, when I started, uh, you know, I, I sat on the sidelines for a few years while, while the market was uh, going up and my first flip was um, back in 2008 and, you know, uh, I was already a licensed real estate broker at the time. So, my main focus was, was MLS. I was, you know, that was, um, that's that's where I was getting all of my fix and flips. I At the time, I was focused on REOs because there was a decent amount of REOs at the time. So, I was, you know quite frankly, I was just shopping by, by price. You know, I, I would, I would scour the market every day at the time. I, I want to say I was, I was probably previewing between 25 and 30 houses a week. And, you know, I was looking at, you know, again, price, I was looking at, uh, you know, what these houses um, needed in regards to renovations, um, putting all my money together. And, you know, just to take a step back, you know, I didn't, you know, at the time, I was, I was actually uh, prepared, you know, financially, I used a lot of my own working capital, and then I had some, uh, used my, my mother, actually, as a, as a private equity lender, so I didn't have to deal with, with high interest rates, so I knew that my money was going to be, be a little cheaper, and, and I'm also a hands-on, you know, uh, fix and flipper, so my first handful of projects, I want to say I did about, you know, uh, 60 to 80% of the work myself.
1: You're saying for the first one, you did 60 to 80% of the actual labor yourself?
0: Correct. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, I just, uh, I like, I like working with my hands and I just, um, for whatever reason, I didn't, I, I just, I didn't want to sub out, you know, I didn't want to sub out things that I knew that I could do myself, um, you know, a couple of my neighbors at the time were, were uh, union workers in Manhattan, local 45 carpenters. And, you know, they're in and out of work. So I ended up, you know, hiring a couple of my neighbors to help out. Um, and then I would just hire one laborer to help, you know, to help gut out bathrooms, kitchens. But um, <clears throat> on the first one, you know, I was very, uh, very conservative with my numbers. I, I, I overate, uh, overestimated my expenses. And underestimated my ARV, which uh, which led to a, a huge surprise at the end. Uh, my first fix and flip uh, ended up uh, clearing a little over one hundred and forty thousand dollars. So it was it was a phenomenal deal. Um, it was you know uh, as soon as it hit the market, I set up an appointment, went to look at it, put an offer in. I don't represent myself on purchases, um, although I am a licensed broker. I find why. It, um, it's a good question, and I, I I put a lot of thought into it, um, and I still do to this day. But um, I just feel that you know, you know, keeping it separate. You know, being a real estate investor and a broker. You know, when I'm going to buy a house, I just I'd rather see the listing agent, you know, make their money and and and. and and earn the full commission on that because my primary focus is to, to you know, buy the house, renovate it and, and sell it at a higher price. And uh, on the way out, I do list my own properties. Um, so I don't represent myself on the way out, but I do represent myself. Um, I'm sorry. I don't represent myself on the way in, but I do represent myself on the way out when I'm selling. Um, and I just find that, that agents, uh, at least around here, local agents are a little more receptive when you come in as their customer as opposed to, um, you know, coming in as the buyer as well as, as, as trying to represent yourself as an agent.
1: What were the numbers you said you, you pocketed at, at when you sold it one forty. what did you buy it for and, uh, what was it worth and how much did you put into it and how long did it take you?
0: Um, this this particular property I picked it up for two hundred and twenty thousand okay. dollars.
1: How'd you how'd you buy it? Your your own money plus your mom's? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So how much was it? Two twenty
0: uh, Yeah, I paid uh yeah, I paid uh two twenty. Uh, okay. and again I, I, I completely you know, I, I again I was being very conservative, so I, I really overestimated my expenses and the fact that I was working on this property, you know, ten to twelve hours a day myself, I I, I was I was definitely saving a lot of money as opposed to hiring out subs. Um, And I want to say that um, total, I think I was, I was into it for about 60,000 total, Um, you know, in regards to uh, renovations, um, uh, pure, you know, just materials and liquor. And uh, like I said, I, um, it it was, it, it was, it worked out just, just, Really well. Um, I did sub out, you know, I subbed out, uh, standing and polying the oak floors. I did sub out a little, um, a little bit of the, uh, you know, the spackling. This, this was an old Tudor style house and it was all plaster and had, you know, beautiful handcrafted plaster crown molding. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't that skilled at that point to get into that, but you know, I taught myself plumbing on this job. I taught myself how to sweat copper. I taught myself how to use packs. I went out and bought all the, all the tools uh, in order to do so. And um, like I said, I think I saved. I probably saved anywhere between you know, uh, twenty and thirty thousand just by doing as much of the work as I did myself.
1: And what did you end up selling it for?
0: Uh, I ended up selling it for uh, four forty.
1: And how long did it take you from start to finish?
0: Um. That one was about five months. Remember picking it up. Um, it was a pretty bad winter. I closed on that one. Um, I want to say the end of November. Um, the renovation took, um, I want to say about nine to ten weeks. And I had it up for sale. I want to say around the first of February and, uh, had, had multiple offers right away. I really lucked out, um, in regards to, you know, the amount of buyers. I just, I didn't expect. I didn't expect it to sell that fast. Um, it was my first one. I didn't, re- I didn't know how long it was going to take me to, to do this particular property. But um, uh, yeah, everything just worked out really well. It was, it was close to a main highway here called Sunrise Highway, which runs along the Long Island Railroad. So I thought I was going to have a little harder time selling it just because it was one house in off of Sunrise Highway. So you could actually hear the train go by from this particular property. And then there was some commercial property along sunrise highway. And some of those people would park on the block. So again, in regards to my ARV, I was, I was way off, you know,
1: I, I, what was it? You know. What, what was your initial ARV? I think my, my
0: initial ARV was, I was, I was thinking that I was going to be able to get high threes for, you know, three, okay. five, three ninety
1: So you're about 50 to 60,000 off. Correct. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's the good direction to be off Oh, totally. on the ARV. <laughs> Have you had a property since then? Because how many flips have you done in total, roughly?
0: Um, at this point, about
1: 15. All right. Out, out of those 15, have you come across a property where it was the other direction, where you thought you'd get more from it?
0: Uh, yes. Um, I've had, um, I want to say, two out of 15 where I thought they were, you know, I, I was I was expecting around you know sixty to sixty five thousand dollar profit margins, and um, ended up with, you know, I think the the least I ever made was about thirty five thousand. It was in a town called East Rockaway, um, and it's it's in a flood zone, and and I bought it I bought it prior to Hurricane Sandy, but it was hit by Hurricane Irene, so there was some water damage that I that I had to take care of. But um, yeah, that, that particular property, I thought I was actually, yeah, I thought I was going to make around like 65, 70 on it and ended up making 35. Um, I put it up for sale, had a nice young couple. He was graduating from the police academy here in New York and um, they, they kind of just lowballed me. They, it was an interesting story because um, the wife actually came to my open house and previewed it uh, with her parents. And then I got a call back a day later from an agent saying, uh, I'd like to show, um, like to show my customers. And it was, she came back with an agent and her husband and, you know, I was a little upset because, um, you know, uh, the, the rules in real estate here are, you know, if you come to my open house and I'm a licensed broker and I'm selling the property that, you know, you previewed it first with me, right. Therefore, you know, I should be entitled, you know, you should be my customer, but, I kind of just let that slide and and let this other agent, um, you know, um, let let the other agent, you know, come in with them as his customers. Um, Again, they they, they lowballed me. I got them up a little bit and I said to myself, look, I just, you know, I just want to keep the money moving. Let me sell it and get out of here. And uh, lo and behold, I ended up closing it um, two and a half months before Hurricane Sandy hit, which completely took the whole house out.
1: Oh, my God. Were they okay? Do you know? Uh, Yeah, they were okay. They ended up
0: giving me a buzz. They asked me for all of my receipts, um, which I keep very detailed records. So I I pretty much just gave them a whole folder of of all the receipts and stuff that I paid for during the renovation. But um, I think that at that point, they took on about five feet of water. It was a ranch, so... Uh, You know, ranch with a crawl space, and um, you know, again, the first floor took on about five feet of water, so it was a complete, complete gut job. And um, they ended up renovating it. And uh, I actually, uh, you know, I was on MLS the other day and saw that they just put it on the market for four forty nine.
1: And how much did you sell to them for? I
0: sold it to them for uh, three forty. It was I picked it up for two forty. I was into it. that one. I was actually right around you know my expectations in terms of uh Reno uh as well as you know carrying costs and closing costs I was into that for um right around like 65 70 and sold it for 340 and um yeah it's pretty pretty shocked to see it come up for 449 because it's, it's a it's a tough area heavy you know it's a heavy blue blue collar neighborhood so, you know solid neighborhood but um again with the with the flood insurance in these areas, uh, flood insurance on a house like that could, could at this point could be anywhere between, you know, three and $5,000 per year. So, wow. Yeah. So a huge, yeah. huge variable. Um, with
1: the, with, with these homes that you're, uh, that you flipped, I mean, you, you've, this last one, they're selling it for four forty nine, and who knows if, if they'll get it or not, but, um, do, ha, have you was that in around 2012 ish? Yes, yeah, because that's whenever that was right before Sandy, right? Yeah, um, have you continued to keep that approach of just keep the money moving? Uh, because that in this case, I mean, you, if you hadn't have done that, Nate Mother Nature would have nailed you. Um, similar to how it, I mean, it nailed the house after you sold it, but yeah. you would have been the one when the music stopped that had to deal with it. And it sounds like, fortunately, well, most importantly, they were they were fine from a health standpoint. And then secondarily, um, financially, I mean, if insurance covered it, then and they're selling it for anywhere close to what they are asking, then they're going to be okay, too, on the purchase, at least. All right, here we go. Here's the money question. What's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: It's a good question. I, w- I would have to say um, to take action. You know, I, I, you know, I'm a big thinker, and and I just remember the time between I want to say 2005 and 2008, where I was actually prepared to start flipping homes, and I just sat on the sidelines and I watched other investors buy, fix, and flip houses and and make really nice profits. And I was just, again, I was on the sidelines. I was doing retail real estate. So, you know, I was doing, you know, 10 to 15 transactions a year for other people, which, which was, which was okay, but definitely wasn't the, you know, the way to, to build real wealth and or capital. But, um, So I sat on the sidelines for a few years and, uh, you know, when I finally jumped in in 2008 and and just kind of gained the courage and and wherewithal to do it, I I looked back and said, I I could have been doing this for the last five years. So, um, you know, if you're thinking, if you're very, if you're passionate about something and, you know, it's something that that you really want to do and you're prepared to do it, um, you know, today is the day it's it's always a good time you know whether it's a down market and up market buyers market sellers market it, there's always opportunities out there and um, yeah again t- taking action is definitely uh, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I could that I could give you know um, instead of sitting again on the sidelines like I right. um, over analyzing deals let yeah. deals go by because I was just too nervous Um
1: but well, then you finally jumped in and, and made it happen in 2008 and and i mean my gosh fortunately it was 2008 let's be honest if you were doing this in 2006 2007 you might not have the track record of making 75 to 80 thousand on and on every on every flip on average yeah just because of where the market was all right you ready for the best ever lightning round yeah. all right first a quick word from our best ever partners If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash bestever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash bestever. Eric, what's the best ever book you've read?
0: Best ever book I've read? I have two books. Um, And again, I hear these quite frequently. Um, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and uh, Stephen Covey, seven habits of uh, successful people
1: best ever personal growth experience and what you learn from it
0: I would have to say that uh, my first fix and flip in 2008 again I finally gained the courage and confidence to, to, to jump in I had a ton of uh, you know I was looking at a ton of properties I actually let a, a bunch of other 70 eighty thousand dollar flips go by before I where I grabbed this one and yeah doing my first fix and flip in 2008 had to be my you know one of my one of my best you know personal uh, real estate experiences you know aside from it being my my highest profit margin deal to
1: date what specifically did you learn from it
0: I learned that you know, again, taking action and actually doing what what you love and what you're passionate about is always the route to go. It just my confidence at the end of that deal was just was through the roof, and it was it was just it was just amazing. I, I I I knew I could do it at that point. I learned ton of about, you know, carpentry, plumbing, electric. So I I picked up, you know, I probably picked up about four or five trades that I didn't know how to do prior to that first uh, fix and flip. So I, I, it was just a tremendous learning experience overall.
1: Best ever project you're most excited about right now?
0: Another great question. I have a couple of deals um, in the pipeline right now. One's a short sale that that I've been in contract in. I think we're going on about, five or six months um, since going into contract, a squatter has moved into the house. Um, we actually found out that she's a registered nurse, actually, who broke into the house, uh, changed the locks, and she's been living in uh, this house in contract for, uh, for the past uh, four months. <laughs> I don't know when it's gonna close. Uh, again, I'm not representing myself, um, the agent who's handling it. She is a short sale specialist there's a bunch of other liens that popped up on the property that have already been negotiated with the IRS. But now she's telling me that she thinks she could, she could relocate this, uh, this squatter. But if not, we're going to have to take this property over with her and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, have to pay her to vacate the property so we can get started on our rental.
1: And you told me before that you think she's a professional squatter.
0: Oh yeah. Without a doubt. They, um, you know, they, they search for these vacant properties. They actually drum up leases and they backdate the leases here that gives them the right to actually, you know, have to be evicted. So, I mean, I mean, it's complete fraud. They're literally, um, you know, breaking into your house illegally trespassing, but, uh, you know, they'll present, you know, they'll present a lease that uh, a phony lease with names and sometimes the names are spelled wrong and, um, but they, they, they're smart enough to backdate the lease. So when, when you go to try to get them out, they say, look, I, I, you know, some agent uh, rented me this apartment. Here's the lease I signed. I gave them a month's security. I gave them a month's rent. Um, and uh, again, they, they know the laws uh, better than I do. So,
1: Do they have people who will vouch for them? Because otherwise, it's just a piece of paper that if it goes to court, the judge is like, well, who are these people? You know, quick side note. I wholesaled the property last year
0: to my uh, my landlord. She's also a, a judge in uh, in the next town over, and she renovated the house, had it under contract. The appraiser showed up, and there was a squatter in her house. It was a woman.
1: The judge's house.
0: Yeah, the judge's house.
1: <laughs> okay. So
0: I I wholesaled her this property. She renovated it under contract. The appraiser shows up, can't get in. The locks have been changed. And uh, there was a woman in there with four children, and again, she had a backdated lease. So she came to me, uh, surprisingly enough, and, and asked if I knew anything about this and what I would do. And I, I kind of looked back at her and said, "You know, you're a judge. I mean, just call the cops." I mean, if it, if it happened to me, I, I, you know, I'm a little different. I, I, think I would take some more aggressive approaches to getting these people out. But um, she ended up negotiating with her to get her to leave. She offered her a thousand. Uh, this. You know, illegal. You know, tenant squatter. You know, said that's not enough. I want two thousand. And at that point, the judge called. Uh, you know, the police. She's a judge, so she knows that she knows a lot of the local uh, police. And um, she called the police, had the police show up, and ended up. Uh, you know, getting her out for the thousand dollars. So she actually had to pay this squatter who broke into her house and changed the locks to leave. In order to
1: the judge decided it was the better route. To actually pay the squatter, then go through legal proceedings. Correct. Right. Wow. I know. There's something inherently messed up with that whole that whole thing. That make it's just disgusting how people can change locks and backdate leases and then get compensated and rewarded for it. That just that just ugh, That makes me. That's just that's just gross. <laughs> I hate that.
0: Becoming more prevalent here and now when when the REO listings come out, they board them up. They lock them up and then they post these stickers all over the windows and the front door that says, This is not a rental property, you know, just all sorts of language, pretty much protecting the bank. God forbid somebody does break in there, they'll be able to get them out immediately because there's just signs posted all over inside and out saying that anybody who breaks in is trespassing and will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. So it's actually gotten to the point where, you know, you have to be very careful. And, um, you know, our, the last one we sold uh, was in a very nice neighborhood, but uh, we put, you know, we put, we put an alarm in the house um, that we could transfer to, to all our next projects. We put the, you know, the signs in the lawn, you know, protected by ADT and, and we have neighbors, you know, we talk to the neighbors to make sure they're looking out for our best interests in regards to people not, you know, breaking in or anything of that
1: nature. Wow. It's it's a lesson for everybody. All right, what's the best ever way you like to give back?
0: I love, you know, again, I as you probably tell I I love and I'm extremely passionate about real estate, and I love just um, talking to other people, um, regardless of, of whether they're newbies or you know experienced investors. I love just sharing sharing my knowledge and, and sharing my stories and and the ups and downs of real estate with with other real estate investors and uh, like-minded people.
1: And when you're sharing those stories, if someone were to ask you what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate, what would you say?
0: I'd have to say that was back uh, after Hurricane Sandy. I I bought up a bunch of homes in some sandy, uh, ravaged neighborhoods, uh, which were actually very good neighborhoods. And I didn't quite do enough due diligence. Uh, At that point, again, going back to like that first flip where my, my confidence level was through the roof. I started doing less due diligence, like, you know, I just kind of, you know, overly confident um, to a certain extent where I would just look at a house and say, all right, this house needs 50, I'm gonna be into it for this, you know, uh, this is what I'm going to be able to sell it for, and I'd make an offer. And, and again, I, I was able to, to do a, a few of them that way with no no problems. But um, on these sandy damaged homes, I didn't do enough due diligence. Again, I still made some good money. I think my, my least profit on I did four of them, and the least profit, uh, the least I made was was forty thousand. I mean, it should have been an eighty all day. Again, I I didn't do enough due diligence in regards to flood insurance and all these changes that were coming through from FEMA. At the time, buyers started asking for elevation certificates in order to determine what uh, premiums were going to be. And in hindsight, I actually wish I didn't represent myself on the way out and I wish I hired a local real estate professional to sell. Those houses in the sand, you know, in the sandy damaged neighborhoods, for me because I think I would have increased my profit margins, you know, considerably if I if I would subbed that out. So it was it was a time where I was actually like so deep into construction mode that by the time it came the time to, to list and sell these houses and, and change hats, I almost uh, I don't say I forgot how to sell a house, but it was uh, again I was just. I was still waking up putting on my construction boots and my construction clothes. And it was just such a hard transition at that time to go back to being a real estate agent and selling my properties, uh, you know, properly. So due diligence, you know, do, doing your, you know, definitely do your due diligence. Um, and yep. That, that was a, it was a tough time because, you know, these variables were changing, I want to say on a weekly basis. You know FEMA. I mean, there was a time where people just didn't even know what was going on, what flood insurance was going to be, you know, what the elevation is, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, it's just a lot of different variables kind of floating around and trying to figure out how to piece it all together. Well, still making forty k. I know it's you said eighty k all day. You should have been, but still making forty k on those. That's decent for sure. Well, what's the best ever place for people to reach you? Might be reached
0: at five one six. Two zero eight seven two seven two again, five one six two zero eight seven two seven two. Could also be reached at Eric, Eric at large dot com. And I'm also on LinkedIn and bigger pockets. So type in my name or large cap properties, uh, you should have no problem getting in touch with me.
1: Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you for being on the show and sharing your advice to the best ever listeners and talking about. The deals that you've done, we focus primarily, almost exclusively, on flipping today, because that's what you're focused on. And the first deal where you cleared over 140 thousand on it, what a wonderful way to get going! Your purchase price was 220 k, about sixty thousand dollars worth of renovations. You did about sixty to eighty percent of the labor yourself, so you certainly saved on the renovations. It took you about five months to flip, and you sold it for 440. You're doing this in Long Island. New York. And then the other flip side of that would be the one that has been the least successful for you from a dollars and cents standpoint, the one in East Rockaway, where you bought it prior to Sandy, but after Irene, Hurricane Irene. And you ended up making, as I said, 35K because you were just ready to move your money and kind of the dynamics behind the representation of the sellers or the buyers and some other things factored into that and then you know, talking about due diligence taking action making sure you're taking action and taking it when you're ready then also perhaps not being over anxious and not being not staying where you're only focused on the next deal but really focusing on the ones that you have because as you said you uh, after you purchased when sandy hit you weren't making nearly the same profit margin that you were making on the other property. So, so really staying close to that and, and making sure that you are focusing on every project that you have and not just what you have in the pipeline. Uh, so thanks again for sharing your advice and your experiences. And you've got an incredible business model working. And it's, it's always wonderful to talk to uh, successful investors like you. So thanks again. We'll talk to you soon.
0: My pleasure. Thank you very much.